Hi, I'm Leah Potter. And I'm Meredith Roden, and we're two news editors at the GW Hatchet. This is the Hatchet's weekly podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It, covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. I'm here with our senior news editor, Kayla Harris, to talk about some of the biggest news with the Student Association this week. Kayla, what do you have for us this week? There is going to be a runoff election for the Student Association president for the first time in seven years this week. Two candidates, well, none of the candidates reached the 40% threshold needed to win the presidency when um, election results were announced on Thursday. And so the top two candidates who are uh, S.J. Matthews, she's a junior, she's the president of the Residence Hall Association, and then freshman Justin Diamond, who launched a last-minute write-in campaign for SA president. Both of them will face off on Thursday, and then the other two candidates were kicked out of the race. Justin Diamond received the highest percent of the vote. He got 27%, and then S.J. Matthews got 25%. Can you give us a bit of background about Justin Diamond's campaign as the write-in candidate? Absolutely. Justin's campaign didn't start until last Tuesday. It started late at night and it was launched online. So Justin is not was not registered with the Joint Elections Commission, which is the body that oversees SA elections. He announced his candidacy on the GW memes page on Facebook and his entire platform was centered around abolishing the essay and also reallocating the essay president's $15,000 stipend to student organizations. So those were the two main uh, parts of his platform. So his campaign was very different from the other candidates. Like I said, also because he wasn't registered with the JEC, he he had a write-in campaign. Write-in campaigns are not very often successful. They're very difficult to gather a lot of people, especially last minute, to physically type in someone's name when, in this case, there were three other options. But in the end, he he ended up getting the, the largest share of the vote. How was voter participation in this election overall? It was pretty good um, in comparison to the past few years. The essay had the highest number of voters in 2015. There were probably around 5,400 voters that year, but this year there were about 4,900, a little more than that. So close to 5,000 people voted in this year's election, which was really high. Like we had also mentioned Justin's campaign. A lot of that turnout was driven by people who had seen his campaign in the memes page when it blew up in the memes page, who had seen his posts on Overheard and whatnot, um, and other people's posts about him. And so a lot of people who maybe wouldn't have voted in the election otherwise came and voted because they had seen these posts online. One of the referendums that was passed last week was a referendum to change the Colonial's nickname. Can you tell us about that campaign and kind of the background on that? Yeah, sure. So the campaign to change the Colonial's nickname has been in the works for about a year. There was a petition launched last spring uh, in which students called for the university to change the Colonial's nickname, saying that it was offensive and um, that students couldn't wear their Colonial's merchandise abroad and that sort of thing. Uh, That petition garnered more than 500 signatures and it reached a high point around that time and then kind of faded out into the fall semester, but then that effort was revived again this semester. There was a panel discussion about this and finally it was introduced as a referendum and 54% of voters in this year's election. So we talked about voter count before that there were almost 5,000 people who voted So more than 2,500 students said that they support this um, and that they want to change the Colonial's nickname. Of course, this is super controversial. So even though a lot of students support this, and this has been a huge thing on campus recently, there's also um, a lot of controversy outside of the student body. We don't know where administrators stand on this. Uh, They haven't said anything. They've repeatedly declined to tell us. And uh, alumni also, there has been a lot of backlash among that community. Um, A lot of people say that... um, that the 
they enjoy the Colonial's nickname, that it's a part of the university's brand, and that it's not offensive. So now that there's the student support for it, it's really up in the air where this is going to go. Student referendums are definitely not an end-all, be-all. They encourage the university to do something. They tell the university where students stand on an issue, but they certainly don't mean that things are automatically going to happen. So this doesn't, just because this passed, doesn't mean that the Colonial's nickname is going anywhere anytime soon. What will probably happen is that a task force will probably form next year with members of the essay, possibly the community, administrators, faculty, etc., other stakeholders who will evaluate nicknames that have changed at other universities, what the process is for doing that, how much it would cost the university, if it's worth it, what the alternatives are, that sort of thing. Thanks for coming on, Kayla. Thanks for having me. I'm here with our culture editor, Lindsay Pollan, who's here to tell us about this year's Best of Northwest Guide. Thanks for having me, Leah. Tell me, what categories does the guide include this year? Yeah, so this year there's about 30 stories, and in each of the three categories, which are campus life, food and drink, and activities, each have about 10 different stories. What sorts of food and drink options does the guide highlight off campus? One of my favorite highlights of the guide is this speakeasy called Capo Deli, well, it's actually called the Backroom at Capo Deli, and um, there's this deli on 14th Street that is just a deli, but uh, there's a fake refrigerator door behind the register, and on the weekends that opens up into like a really cool and sleek speakeasy, and it's super cool because you could like get all the deli food ordered back to the speakeasy. One of my reporters went there and instead of asking for one of the drinks on the menu, he just went to the bartender and kind of told him what he wanted and they made him a drink based off of what he told them. He was like, oh, I want something fruity and with rum and then the bartender like mixed him up a drink. What's an example of a cocktail they might serve? Yeah, so one of the cocktails that's on their menu and not just based off what you tell the bartender is called Strawberry Fields, and it has strawberry-infused gin with lemon and honey and whipped egg white. What's the vibe in the speakeasy? Yeah, so it's pretty nice on the inside. Uh, They have, like, these velvet couches that are gray and booths that are, like, black leather, but at the same time, they play, like, top 40 hits, like Ariana Grande, The Chainsmokers, so, like, you could still dance. And what if you're looking for a lunch option off campus? Where should students go? So there's this place in Georgetown called Stachowski's Market, and it's off of M Street. It's not necessarily something you would just run into if you were, like, shopping down M Street and kind of something you would need to seek out a little bit more. Um, But I'm from New Jersey, so Italian delis are, like, a really big thing. Um, So I was really excited when I found this place because it's like very no-frills Italian deli. Like you go up, there's literally like dozens of different meat options and they have like really fancy meats like duck prosciutto and like they make their own pastrami in-house and stuff like that. Um, And the menu, you can't order anything off of the menu. You have to stick to the menu. There's no substitutions. So I got a turkey club and I was, because I don't eat a lot of different meats. So I was like, oh, it's just going to be like a normal turkey club because it was like on white bread and stuff. But it was so good. The turkey was like real turkey meat, not like sliced turkey. Um, There was like the perfect amount of mayonnaise. There was avocado. Instead of lettuce, there was bean sprouts. So that was like a really nice 
change. It was just like a nice off-campus option when I'm like getting sick of G World. It was a little bit more on, more on the expensive side for about like 13 to $14 per sandwich, but they were massive like pile tie with meat. So I was able to like bring the second half home and eat it the next day. Oh, also it's only about a 20 minute walk from campus. So especially with the weather starting to warm up, it makes for a nice walk in between classes. And what about if you're looking for something a little bit more sweet? Are there any good dessert options off campus? In city center, there's a couple of dessert options that are pretty well known, like Dolceza and Momofuku Milk Bar. But there's actually this Italian restaurant called Sfoglina Pasta House. And while they're known for their pastas, they actually have a really, really good dessert menu. Um, and they kind of have more traditional Italian desserts. They have tiramisu, um, which is so good. And they also have uh, gelato and sorbetto but it's served as like soft serve but my favorite dessert there is the chocolate piemontese cake which is this super decadent layer cake it's layers of chocolate cake in between them there's like a thick chocolate ganache and crumbled hazelnuts all over it and then there's like icing on the top and it's basically like a way better version of a Ferrero Rocher and like Ferrero Rochers are already really good so this is just like so good. It's super rich. It looks like students have their next meal planned off campus, but what other off-campus activities do you recommend? So there's this really small independent movie theater up in Mount Pleasant called Sun Cinema, and it only has one screening room, and it like is very artsy. There's like zebra and red wallpaper on the inside, and they don't play new movies that come out. They play older stuff. They even sometimes play like episodes of old TV shows like I Love Lucy, but it's super cool. So along with kind of a more eclectic vibe, um, there's an entire bar where you can order drinks or shots, um, whatever you're feeling. And they also make their own popcorn like in an old fashioned popcorn machine. The vibe is like a little different than a typical movie theater. There's very few seats on the inside and they're not uniform theater chairs. They look like as if they've been thrifted or from a vintage store. What movies does the theater have coming up? Yeah, so they only play about one movie a night. Sometimes they play two, but it's not as common. On Saturday, they're playing Mean Girls. They're also playing Airplane some episodes of I Love Lucy, like I said before. They also play, like, much older movies, like this movie from 1942 is playing in the next couple of weeks called To Be or Not To Be, and it's about um, World War II in Europe. If you're looking to get away from some big-name brands in the city, what are some local shops that you can go to? One of my personal favorites, which also is the pick for best local shop, is this little flower shop, like, just a couple seconds off of the main drag on 14th street called little leaf and when you go in there it's kind of like entering a different world because it's just like all green and the last time i went there it was like during golden hour so the light was just shining super beautifully on all the plants and they have a little pug um that is 10 years old and his name is bronson and he comes and greets you at the door and his tongue is always hanging out so he's like super cute so even if you don't like plants and you like dogs like it's worth it just to go to meet the dog but they have really cool plants that are pretty affordable um they have succulents and cacti and air plants if you're like really bad at taking care of your plants those are easy plants 
to take care of because they only need to be watered like once every other week and they don't just have plants because they're a local shop they have a lot of like artist things around they have prints on the walls and they have little cards that I always go there to like get my birthday cards because they're like much cheaper than CVS and it's like supporting a local artist and they also have things to put your plants in like ceramics and pots and woven baskets just a really cool little store and after you're busy outing around DC where should you conclude your day and wrap up with an Instagram photo shoot I personally think that DC has a lot of really cool options for Instagram worthy photos but one of my favorite ones is also in Georgetown and it's also off M Street, so not necessarily something you'll just run into. And it's kind of tucked in between different row homes. And on one of the corner row homes, there's this giant mural of the really famous painting, The Great Wave by Hokusai. And it's not something you always see on Instagram, so you'll stand out with a cool new post. And it also has an interesting history, so it was commissioned by this artist, John McConnell, in 1974 by his friends who were the past owners of the house and they decided they wanted to like dress up their empty wall on the side of the house and they decided to replicate the great wave. My reporter spoke to the artist who painted it and he said that people still come there all the time for their wedding photo shoots and that even sometimes professors of Japanese history will come there to show the wave because that's a super famous Japanese uh, piece of art. And obviously you can also go there to take nice Instagram photos and you could like pretend you're surfing the wave or it's crashing on top of you. So it makes for a really unique and out of the box Instagram post. Well, thanks for coming on Lindsay and giving us a brief rundown of what's in Best of Northwest this year. So I really enjoyed talking about some of the spots with you, Leah, and I'm so excited for everyone to read the rest of the guide so they can find out the best spots to go on and off campus. That's all for this week. Thanks for joining us on Getting to the Bottom of It. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by news editors Meredith Roten and Leah Potter and features culture editor Lindsay Pollan. This podcast is produced by managing editor Matt Cullen and video editor Ariana Dunham. Music is produced by Old Studio. Special thanks to Kayla Harris for joining us. See you next week.